We are in week five of this series on Philippians, and we're going to be in chapter two this morning if you want to turn there, finding joy in an anxious world. We're going to begin where we ended last week in verse 17 of Philippians 2. So verse 17, it says, maybe, there we go. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice, and that was the word that we used last week, that, that sacrifice um, leads to joy, being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service. And that's the word we're going to focus in on this week. Service coming from your faith. The sacrifice and service coming from your faith. Going on, he says this. Um, I am glad and rejoice with all of you so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So, so this be glad and rejoice comes from this Greek word kara, and it recur, occurs 19 times in the book of Philippians. It means joy, rejoice, or gladness. Just over and over and over, Paul talks about how we can have joy and gladness in the, the face of incredible difficulties and incredible um, adversity. So the, the church in Philippi is struggling because they are very much a Roman world orientation, and, and everything in their life revolves around Caesar, um, very natural, nationalistic, and, and worship of the emperor. And so to live in Philippi meant that if you were going to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, meant that you were declaring that Caesar is not Lord. That you would not bow to him and to his kingdom because you believed that there was a bigger kingdom in the midst of this world that was breaking forth, that was coming into being. And so he talks about rejoice, but it was all about sacrifice. What we said last week, joy comes through sacrifice. And this week we're going to talk about this other word, service. Because service and serving others... Is, is the foundation, one of the foundations of our faith as followers of Jesus. Paul talked about earlier in Philippians 2, how that we must have the same attitude and mind of Christ Jesus. And he calls Jesus in that passage a servant, someone who put everyone else's needs above his own. And so Paul is going to share with us about a couple of his friends, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Going to verse 19, it says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interest not for those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will, become, will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, 
whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and did not, not only on him, but on also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am now all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So he talks about these two friends, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And you need to understand that Timothy is someone he met years before. We, we first see Timothy in Acts 16. And Timothy um, becomes a Christian really because of Paul's ministry. Paul is responsible for taking the gospel to the city, Lystra, where Timothy lived. And to really be the one that converted his mom and grandmother. And so he becomes a Christian and he starts following Jesus really because of Paul's influence in his life and family and ultimately in his city. And so he's following Jesus, or following Jesus, but he's really committed to Paul and Paul starts taking him with him as he ministers. He starts working and doing ministry with him. And he becomes a disciple of Paul and a disciple of Jesus. And this friendship lasts nearly 20 years as they do life together. And I love the thing that he says about Timothy. Timothy will give you great care. It's not, Timothy is a dynamic leader. Timothy is a great teacher and preacher and speaker. It's Timothy will give you great care. Because Timothy doesn't spend his life consumed by what he needs. He spends his life consumed about the needs of others for the furtherance of the gospel. That he's concerned about what Jesus Christ needs us to do and be in this world. And so Timothy is his first friend that he mentions. And then he talks about another friend named Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus lives in Philippi. And he has um, been the one chosen or volunteered to take their offering to Paul. Because they've taken up a collection to make sure Paul's needs in Rome are met. And so he has taken up this collection and he's carried it to Rome, risking really his life to help Paul. And yet when he's there, he becomes sick. Really sick. To the point that he could possibly die. And so what you have to understand is happening here is Epaphroditus, as he comes to Rome to minister to Paul and to bring the offering, Paul and Philippi, the church there, have this letter chain going. And they send him, and he gets sick, and Paul writes them a letter and says, hey, understand, Epaphroditus has gotten sick. And they're really worried about it and concerned. They're going to write another letter back to Paul. And Paul's going to write this letter. Now, understand this. 
This is 2,000 years ago. Steve Jobs had not introduced the iPhone yet. This wasn't, hey, your buddy is sick, send help. Your buddy is sick, be praying. This is writing a letter saying, we're really worried. I'm really worried about your friend. I'm concerned about him. And he has risked his life really to take care of Paul. And Paul says, you need to honor and respect people like this. Now, why does Paul come back and talk about these two friends right here at this point? So if you think about how chapter 2 started in this letter. Remember, this is a letter written from Paul to a specific church, a group of people living in another city. Okay? He writes this letter, and the very first thing he says is, you need to understand that our life needs to mirror the sacrifice of Jesus in mind, in heart, in attitude. Let everything we do, because if we do that, there is going to be this unity in the body of Christ. And that's what we talked about three weeks ago, right? That that sacrifice, that life-giving, self-sacrificial life will bring about unity in the body of Christ. Then he talks about Paul's life himself and what it looks like and the result of living out this life of sacrifice. If you live this life out, then you're going to be a light in this world. You're going to shine in the darkness. And so the first two examples he gives of what it looks like to be a true disciple of Jesus to this church in Philippi are Jesus and Paul. Right? To which we say, well, that's pretty difficult to live up to those standards. You want me to act like Jesus? Or you want me to act like Paul? Those are pretty big shoes to fill. That, that seems pretty out there to live up to those expectations. And so what Paul does is he said, okay, here's what it looks like. And here's Jesus' example, and here's my example. But just so you don't get overwhelmed with the idea that I can't live up to this, let me tell you about two of my friends. Their names are Timothy and Epaphroditus. And they're pretty normal, everyday people. They're, they're people like you and I that we can relate to pretty well. Because for, for the most part, we would think they're pretty normal. They, they were living their life, and they met Jesus. And Jesus radically changed and transformed everything about them, and so they gave their life to serving him. Because his hope is for, 
for the church in Philippi that they hear this, who's sitting here in the midst of the shadow of the Roman Empire saying, how do we live and say we're disciples of Jesus and we believe Jesus is Lord and that Jesus reigns and that we're not going to bow our knee to Caesar? How do we live in the midst of that unthinkable empire as disciples of Jesus? It's impossible. Because I'm not Jesus and I'm not Paul. Yeah, but let me tell you about my two friends. Let me tell you about my two friends, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Because Timothy and Epaphroditus are a lot like you. Anyone have any friends like that? Friends that are just consumed with helping other people? That that would bend over backwards, go to any lengths to help you out? Those people that when difficult circumstances arise, they're the first person that you're calling and texting. Because you know that they're going to be there. And I think that's what Timothy and Epaphroditus are to Paul. They're, They're those friends that are there through anything and everything. And Paul can count on them. And he knows he can count on them. Because he's done it time and time again. And what stands out in their life is that they're willing to put other people's needs in front of their own. You see, there's this, this tension that we live within, and it happens in, in Rome. I'm sorry, don't go there yet. No, no, no. Just <laughs> pretend you did not see that. No. Just joking. Um, Philippians 2. Philippians 2, verse 21. For everyone looks out for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. The flip side is Philippians 1, 21. It says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. There is this tension there we go, that we live within. The self-sacrificial life, you can put that up now, Stephen, sorry. Get mad at him and no. Um, The self-sacrificing life and the self-serving life. This to live is Christ, to die is gain. Verse, everyone looks out for their own intentions or own interest always. There is this tension you and I live within. This tension of, am I going to take care of myself or am I going to take care of the needs of other people? Am I willing to lay my life down for my friends? Am I willing to go to whatever links are needed for the gospel? There is this self-sacrificing life to live as Christ, to die as gain. And then there is this self-serving life. Everyone looks out for their own interest. And the tension is we live in the middle. Because every single morning you wake up, every single morning you have a decision that you're going to make that day. 
Not just one, multiple decisions throughout the day. Am I going to seek my own needs or am I going to look out for the needs of others? Am I going to lay my life down so that I can lift other people up? Or am I going to continue to try to exalt myself? It's a choice. And every day, you have a wrestling match with yourself, with this tension. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And everyone looks out for their own interest. It's a battle, right? Every single day, you wake up. You fight that tension. Every single day, you wake up. You have a decision, a choice. And I think it's so reflective in our prayers. You know, the prayer Jesus prays, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This self-sacrificing life comes out of that prayer. And then on the flip side, there's this self-serving life. And the prayer in this self-serving life is, Father, take care of my needs today. Father, help me to grow bigger and stronger and more powerful and get more and more and more and more. Because it's not just about needs. It's about having all that we want. All that our hearts desire. There's this tension. The self-sacrificing life and the self-serving life. Where do you live within that tension? Are you consumed with your own interests or the interest of others? As Paul said earlier, here, here's what that self-sacrifice, self-sacrificing life looks like. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is what the self-sacrificing life looks like. But here's the problem. When you live a self-sacrificial life, it will bring hardships and problems and pain. It will bring about difficult times. Years ago, our U.S. Um, government had a project called Biosphere 2. And here's a, a picture of it. Basically, what they tried to do within this was create every ecosystem on the planet 
all contained within this biosphere. And so they had their, their rainforests and their deserts, and, and they could modify the climate perfectly to replicate everything that they would experience in nature, to see how different things introduced into those environments would respond. And they found a really interesting phenomenon. Is in the biosphere, the trees that they had planted started falling over with the roots coming out of the ground. And the scientists were so perplexed by this, trying to figure out what is it that would make the trees fall over. And after so much time researching and trying to figure out, they figured out the one thing they could not replicate in the biosphere was the wind. And the stress and the strain of the wind strengthened the trees so that they could stand and not fall over. Isn't that fascinating? Out of all of the things that they could replicate, all the things that they could make just like the rest of our world, the the one thing that was missing was the stress and the strain of the wind. And it was the stress and the strain of the wind that strengthened the trees so that they could stand. It sounds a lot like what Paul writes in Romans. He he says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. So as you go through suffering, as you go through difficult times, it's producing strength in you, and it's helping you to persevere. The the trials that you have been through up until this point are preparing you and strengthening you so that you can walk through what comes next. Produces suffering or suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Isn't it fascinating that in Paul's mind you go from suffering in these difficult circumstances to hope? How is it that we get to hope in the midst of those difficult times? It's producing within us this perseverance, the ability to keep going and keep moving. And it builds this character. And pretty soon you look back and you think, wait a minute, I've made it through every bad day I've ever had. And soon, things that started to seem so big and so monumental, you look back on and think, God was using that somehow, as bad as it was, as awful as it was, God was using that moment to help strengthen me, to help grow me to a point that I would be able to stand. See, here's the problem for so many. If the width of your branches exceeds the depth and strength of your roots, 
you will not stand under the weight of the storm. If the width of your branches exceeds the depth and strength of your roots, you will not stand. Because what the wind did was strengthen the trees. But what's crazy is it strengthened its root system. So that it had a stronger foundation. See, when you commit to living a life that is self-sacrificial, which in, in our understanding that mimics the gospel, right? That Christ died, he laid down his life, he rose from the dead, when, when we commit to that life, to following Jesus, we're saying, God, I'm dying to myself to live for you and for your kingdom and to put others' needs in front of my own. As Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, do to others as you would have them do to you. We live in a world that's not very good at that. And it's so easy to look out and point the finger and show all of the places where we're not really good at that as a world and completely overlook ourselves. Because Paul's point, Jesus' point is not just, well, look at everyone else and see how wrong they got it and point the finger and then just sit back and do nothing about it because you can't do anything to change them. And that's true, you can't do anything to change them. But what's not true is that you can't do something about it. What you can do about it is you can take care of you by laying your life down and starting to live your life in a way that reflects the gospel of Jesus beautifully to this world. Where you put the needs of other people in front of your own. Because as you do that, you're going to suffer for it You're going to go through difficult times, but it is going to help you learn to persevere. And as you persevere, it's going to build character within you. And as you have that character built, you're going to realize there is a hope in this world, in Christ Jesus, that is not like anything else this world has to hope in. It's different. And therefore, you do not look like the rest of the world. You're not a reflection of the rest of the world. This um, past Tuesday, um, there was a small argument on TV. And I saw, I saw several memes. One of them said something to the effect of there are 300 million people in this country and this was the best representation we could find. Let me tell you what my biggest fear is. My biggest fear is that's not the best representation we could find. My biggest fear is it's a perfect reflection who we have become. 
because everyone says that that surprised me. But I think it looks an awful lot like our culture. A culture that gets fed up with things and just says, we're done. We're going to cancel it. We don't like it. We don't agree with it. We're done. Because somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way in our world, we've lost the ability to have civil conversation with people that we disagree with. I have a friend, a mentor of mine, who we, we talk regularly, and he described our culture now, he, he used the word as uber-modernity. You've heard of modernity and post-modernity, um, and, and how relativism became such a big part of that um, post-modernity, just whatever you believe is, is true, Okay. If you, if you believe it, then it's, it's true. But, but what he means when he talks about this uber-modernism is that my truth has become infallible. We all believe we are right across the board. And our need to be right has trumped our need to be kind to be compassionate, to care for other people. We've we've lost the ability as a culture to serve the needs of others and put others' needs above our own because of our need to protect ourselves. And I think part of that is because we don't want to go through the storms. And we don't want to go through the suffering. But what Paul says is that suffering, it's going to strengthen you. It's going to grow you as a follower of Jesus. And on the other side of that, there is hope that the way the world is now is not the way it will always be. Because we believe that the tomb was empty. And death no longer has the final word. Jesus has the final word. And as Paul points out, that at one point, every knee will bow. Not declaring that Caesar is Lord, but declaring that Jesus is Lord. And my question for you this morning, what do you reflect? What what is your life a reflection of? Is it a perfect reflection of our culture and our world? Or is it a reflection of Jesus Christ? Christ crucified and risen. Because if it is a reflection of the crucified and risen Christ, 
It is a life filled with hope. It, it is a life where we treat other people as they want to be treated. Over the next month, trust me, you're going to have plenty, <laughs> plenty of opportunities to live the self-serving life. And you're going to have plenty of opportunities, every bit as many opportunities, to live a self-sacrificial life. And the only way that happens is through you being transformed into the image of Christ so that you reflect Him. The only way it happens is being transformed into the image of Christ so that you reflect Him. Because the greatest tragedy is when that self-serving life infiltrates our churches. It creates problems. And the problems do nothing about taking our focus away from what matters. Because we fight and we bicker and we don't have civil conversation and we don't love each other well. And we see this so many times in our world and in our churches. And our churches are supposed to be a reflection of Jesus' self-sacrificial life. Not a self-serving life. two questions for you. When you when you look at your life what is the reflection that you see? And I think just as importantly maybe even more when everyone else looks at your life what is the reflection that they see? Because for us to move from this self-serving life to this self-sacrificial life requires something. It, it requires something of us. See, to serve others, you serve others to cultivate the mind and the attitude of Christ. You serve others to cultivate the mind and attitude of Christ. You serve others to cultivate the mind and attitude of Christ. You serve others not because you have the mind and attitude of Christ. You serve others to cultivate the mind and attitude of Christ. I don't feel like serving other people. I just think, well, do you think Jesus woke up one day and was like, you know, I feel like dying today for everyone else. That every day, I believe for Jesus, it was a battle to die to himself 
to live his life for his Father. And every day, it will be a battle for you. This tension that we will live in to live our life for Christ. And if we do that, if we do that, it's not that we're going to start to reflect Paul or Timothy or Epaphroditus. But your heart and mind and soul will start to reflect Jesus. Father, today we pray that you would give us the heart, the mind, the attitude of Christ. And Father, that does not come through just simply you zapping us with that mind, heart, and attitude. But Father, it simply comes through serving other people as you cultivate that mind and heart and soul within us. Father, may we have a passion for you and a passion for this world. Father, let us not be a reflection of our culture, but a reflection of Christ in our culture. The world may see your glorious light shining as a beacon of hope in a world of darkness. Thank you for Jesus. Father, it's our prayer that once again today we would die to ourselves and find life in Christ and the hope of glory. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.